Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden and Sam Chamlin. Welcome, Food and Faith Pod listeners. We have the wonderful Holly Stalkup who is the executive director and the founder of RISE. She writes and teaches on singleness, community, mental illness, and a new vision for women's ministry in the church. I happen to know this next part of her bio is true. She says that people are her passion. And I experienced Holly's incredible community building and care and um, just nourishing and nurturing when I met her uh, last year at the Festival of Faith and Writing, where she had brought a bunch of us together and took care of our our every need in a very nice boundaried and um, <laughs> and, and a healthy way. Um, but we, we felt her, her care. Um, rest for her is hot tea, good books, painted nails, and delicious food shared with good people. And we are looking forward to hearing more about what that looks like and how food and faith inform your work in your ministry. Um, we would be remiss to mention that she lives with her beloved dog Jack in Fort Worth, Texas. And we may have the gift, at least on the video, of witnessing Jack's voice in this pod. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I am really honored and excited um, to jump in with you guys today. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. And thinking about Jack, maybe we should do a whole podcast where it's just people and their animals and <laughs> talking about that. Maybe oh, that if Jack makes beautiful. an appearance, he'll be the first installment. I love um, it. But I uh, want to begin with uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your geography, um, the land that you come from, the people, the food, the culture that inspires you. Um, and so just what has, what has formed you into the person and the work that you're doing now? Yeah. So I'm still relatively young. I'm 31. And um, so life is still in many ways kind of broken up into uh, childhood and then kind of this, you know, first decade um, of adulthood. And so as I was thinking about what had been similar between those two areas and what has been really different, I started um, thinking about, I grew up in uh, West Texas, um, out in the desert and the oil field, uh, a very um, rough environment um, as far as um, weather and landscape um, until you look up. And then um, the sky and the stars and the sunsets and the sunrises make up for um, all of the tumbleweeds uh, there in West Texas. And so um, West Texas can be, uh, like many places, I think especially in the South, a very uh, showy place. Um, there, um, hospitality matters a lot, but often it becomes um, a contest um, or a show of wealth um, or class. Um, and my mom was the opposite. Um, and she um, does not enjoy cooking, um, does not think she's very good at it. Um, and we had a very small rotation of meals. Um, I could probably count them on two hands, kind of the things that we rotated through as kids. And uh, still today, if you ask her how to cook anything, she'll tell you salt and pepper and garlic powder and onion powder. It doesn't matter what you're cooking. If you use those four things, you're, you're set. And um, Is there a problem I, with that? Right. No, and it, yeah. it really does work. It really is. 
is a great, like in a pinch, if you have those four things, you're, you're set. Um, and so as I was thinking about that, um, you know, I think she sees that as a very negative thing. She'll probably listen to this podcast and think, why did you tell everyone that? Um, but she set a very low bar for hospitality. And I say that in a, in a very positive way, um, that she doesn't do table centerpieces. Um, and we don't have matching napkins and, um, and sometimes the house is really messy. Um, but there was this understanding that if someone showed up, of course they could eat with us. Um, and especially, uh, in the last 10 years, my parents have really taken this on. And I remember like coming back from college, you just expected there to be someone you didn't know at the table. Um, sometimes that person will have moved into your bedroom while you were gone. Um, sometimes it was just someone, uh, visiting who was maybe going to go back to their home or maybe back to the streets that night. Um, but she was still cooking the same 10 things made with salt and pepper and garlic powder and onion powder. And then I went from that to living in the suburbs of Dallas-Fort Worth, um, where uh, hospitality is unquestionably a show and where everything revolves around the nuclear family. Hmm. And so tables are rarely open um, unless your kids are friends, right? That's the connecting point in suburban society is if your kids are friends, then you may end up at each other's tables together. And so when I think about what has shaped me, <laughs> I think about the difference between my mom's open simple table and the exclusionary nature of the suburban table. And of course, I'm painting with a broad brush. I know plenty of good, Jesus-loving, hospitable, open people in the suburbs. Um, but in general, my big concern is that not only is that suburban culture at large, that has been embraced very fully um, by uh, church culture, whether suburban or urban or, or rural. Um, and so... I think about why that set my heart on fire being in the suburbs about the exclusion of single people in the church and the really um, small, thin, anemic definition that we have of family and how harmful that is to everyone. Um, and I think the reason that this both metaphorical and literal table is so important to me is because when I look back on this whole 31 years, wherever I was living, the thinnest places between heaven and earth that I have ever experienced are at the table. Mm -hmm. And in particular for me at unrushed tables, um, which is something I talk about a lot. I'm a very slow eater. Uh, I have an eating disorder. Uh, I talk a lot. Um, and so fast meals for me are, are often a really miserable experience. When I know people need to be somewhere, um, when I know people are trying to leave the last piece of pie for me, but I'm like still on the, you know, the uh, start of my meal. Um, but when I know that we can sit and savor and order another dish, 
um, and let my food sit long enough that I could actually enjoy dessert. Um, there is a, an atmosphere change that happens for me. And so what has shaped my passion in particular um, for the exclusion of single folks in the church is that when we don't bring people to the table, we're missing out on an opportunity for them to get that thin space experience um, and to taste literally and metaphorically um, heaven on earth. So that's a little bit of what shaped me. Oh, there's so much there. I want to ask you more about, um, I'm really stuck with this, this phrase that you said of the thinnest places between heaven and earth are at the table and how I, I mean, I resonate with that. That feels true to me as well, both the table in people's homes and the communion table and the table where people can come together and have a conversation. I mean, it just, that, that metaphor of table is so rich and it's something we've talked about a bit on the pod. And I've been thinking a lot about is, um, how I think we often kind of have the rosy glow of the table brings us together. And I think what you brought out so powerfully is it does that, but it also is a place where we feel where we're apart or we feel the brokenness. And that sometimes is because people are literally not at the table. And other times it's because the table is not actually nourishing everyone who's there. I really appreciate your voice on Twitter and on social media and in many forms in terms of thinking about the relationship that the unique place that single people have in community, in the church, um, and how often the ways that people feel brokenness are different depending on whether what whether they are single or in a relationship, married, in a family, a larger nuclear family setting. Um, so I wonder if you could just share with us a little more about what is your wisdom and your learning about where the table can be a place of bringing together and where it can be a place of, um, of isolation or separation. Everyone has to eat, right? As a single person, there are a lot of changes, choices that I can make to live a full life, despite not being married, um, despite maybe even being excluded by married folks and families. But one thing I cannot choose to do is, is not eat. That's an important part of my life. And so that leaves me then in three times a day situations that are commonly framed as community things, not, not in community, right? Um, so, so not once every once in a while, is there that sense of isolation and loneliness, but potentially three times a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And I, I want to caveat like everything we're about to talk about with singles are not a monolith. I don't, I don't, not the president of singles. Um, my experience is my experience. And if you're not in relationship with singles, then take this only as like a loving kick in the butt to have these conversations with single people um, in your life. And so I just think that's really, really important because you shouldn't take everything I say and just assume that all of your single friends um, are in the same um, place as me. And so, yeah, so let me start with some encouraging stories um, about how the table can be um, literally the hands and feet of Jesus to single folks. Um, I asked, I have a great community of single people that I have the chance to 
work with and lead and hear from and learn from and um, ask for some stories coming into the podcast. And my friend Molly talked about this past Christmas, uh, her friends who have kids every year, they have a family tradition of building gingerbread houses and then having dinner afterwards. And they probably just through a simple text said, Hey, on Saturday night, we're going to do our gingerbread house building and do dinner. You want to come over. And four months later, she's still talking about what an incredible experience it was for her. Um, being single can be hard any time of year. Um, but from Thanksgiving to Valentine's day is like, uh, the dark wilderness of singleness for most singles. Um, even singles who want to be single long-term, uh, there, there is so much family centricness around holiday holidays that it's hard to not feel like you're missing out on something. Um, remembering that minor holidays matter too. Um, right. My friend Jenna brought up something that happens a lot in the church is, um, it'll be 4th of July weekend or Easter weekend. And usually you have a small group that meets on Sunday afternoons, but we cancel the small group because it's a holiday and people want to spend time with their families. But no one says to the single people in the group, Hey, do you want to come over and do what we're going to be doing? (laughs) They just say, Hey, we're not meeting next week. Um, and there's no acknowledgement of that isolation. Um, I've seen that happen recently in my own life where we were supposed to have a Tuesday night book study and dinner. And then it ended up that it was raining and several people had to cancel. And then it was just canceled. Well, that was my human interaction for the day. That was my dinner plans for the night. And there wasn't any, and if it needed to be canceled, sometimes we need to cancel things. But the lack of awareness and acknowledgement of in particular how those cancellations affect single people um, is concerning to me. And so I, I love, Anna, this kind of picture of the table can be unifying, but it also can be divisive. But the problem is when you're at the table, this is right, the Uh, my friend Emily says this is the burden of privilege is that it blinds you, right? Like you're at the table. And so unless you turn away from the table and look to see who's on the outside, you're just going to keep eating. Um, And so whether that's single folks or disabled folks or elderly folks who can't drive after dark, right? There's a million ways that not with intention of harm, right? I have good quality married people and families in my life. But, and it's a two-way street. I, as a single, have to advocate for myself. I have to communicate what I want and need. I can't expect my married friends, especially those who got married really young, to understand my story. But also married folks are called to see their privilege, and it is a privilege, to be married in a society and a church that idolizes marriage, And then look behind you, step away from the table for a second and figure out um, who's missing. Um, And thank you for illustrating so vividly and compellingly, like that privilege that does exist um, and would own some of my own responsibility for that, just as a pastor and as somebody who's trying to put together, you know, trying to make decisions that make sense, you know, for for a community of faith that, you know, you're looking at the 80% and forgetting that there is a 20% that demands a particular kind of care. Um, And you've done a really excellent job of illustrating that and illustrating the need that exists. I wanted to talk to you about um, 
that you had put out that you were going to be on this conversation and talking about singleness and food preparation. And you put it out on Twitter. And I told you before we started recording that my phone has done nothing but buzz for the last two and a half hours, just because of the people contributing these ideas around how we prepare food and how do you make sure that you know you have enough and that we reduce food waste. And it's just this really rich and robust conversation, um, which first of all speaks to your ability to generate a conversation and to get to invite people to a conversation um, around a shared topic. Um, but I wondered, I, I was so surprised by that. Um, and so I, I wonder um, just how, how you reflected on that Twitter conversation and what you saw about ways that we can be practical at, as we create tables around making sure we're, we're responsible for our food and then also making sure that we are truly nourishing in body, soul, and spirit, everyone who finds their way to that table. So, yeah, I think that the kind of big reaction. So the question I asked on Twitter was like, hey, single folks, I'm going to be on this podcast and I want to share kind of like community ideas on how single people um, can avoid food waste because um, in a society, again, that centers around the family, so often food is packaged in ways and sold in ways that force people that are single to waste food, especially things like produce that go bad so quickly. And so those of us who are single, who are trying to be um, ethical consumers and be aware of the environment and aware of our privilege as you know Americans who just have this absurd access to food, um, where does that leave us? And I think the big response to that question shows how desperate single people are to have conversations about singleness and how rare the spaces are where we center the voices of singles and give them space to discuss and for married people to not feel like they have the answers, right? Um, because we see life as so linear, so you're a child and then you're single and then you get married, right? That's the process. And so what that looks like is that your child, you're single and you get married and marriage is on the top. So if we're on the top, then we must have all of the answers. And instead, marriage and singleness are equal. Scripture is super duper clear about that. Um, and so we have to be willing to not only talk to singles and talk about singleness, but center the voices of singles and, and listen, actually really listen. Um, and so, yeah, oh my gosh, I was overwhelmed. I have so much that I'm learning uh, just today from the responses about how I can reduce food waste and do food prep differently. Um, in particular as a single person. So just some practical ideas um, that I loved is single people can buy things individually versus packaged, um, but uh, there needs to be an acknowledgement that those things are often harder to access. Um, so farmer's markets are great because, um, and especially if you speak up for yourself. So often something will be in a bin that is too big for me, that I think there's no way I'll eat all those strawberries this week. But if I'll ask and I say, can I have half of those? They may look confused at first and they may have to go and ask the boss, but usually they'll cut the price in half and, and give me half of them. And then I don't have the food waste and it's better for my budget as someone who only has one income and only has the choice to have one income. Um, in particular, the um, store that several people brought up is uh, if you have a Sprouts Farmer's Market near you, that's a place that you can buy two carrots instead of a bag of eight carrots that you won't ever use. And then obviously places that have bulk bins for nuts or um, oatmeal, things like that, then you can get a smaller serving. Um, 
a couple of more just like simple ideas. When you buy herbs, often they're packaged together. And if you're not in a place where you can grow your own herbs, um, I feel like this tip has been like flying around social media, but you can chop them up, freeze them in an ice cube tray um, with olive oil, and then use them later. Um, cooking big batches and then freezing them, learning how to freeze things um, can be so helpful because you can literally put them in one serving sizes. Um, and then I, um, we're going to put in the show notes, hopefully, a website called Slow Cooker for Two, which my friend Ruth sent. Ruth is a great voice for singles in the church, and it's crockpots that crock pot recipes that only serve two, which will make four servings. And that's doable for a single to get through, you know, in a week or a week and a half. Um, and then, then the intersection of married and single people um, comes with things like creating meal sharing um, concepts. And these don't have to be fancy. You don't need like a Google form. Um, it's just looking at the people that you're already in relationship. Maybe people that you see once a week already at church and saying, and this can be three single people, or it can be one single person and two families. It could be an, a married couple without kids. Like we don't have to overthink the systems. Um, but just saying, Hey, I'm going to double this recipe and bring you half and you double your recipe and bring me half. And everyone wins there. This isn't a, a charity to single people like, oh, those single people, they need food. Like it's saying like food prep is hard and costly, especially in a society that moves as fast as we do. <laughs> and why don't we share that burden? And we all eat better and are also better stewards of our money. And I think that's a conversation that we have to have about food um, is that if you don't have a food budget, um, right? Like we love to say on a grand scale to a church or the government, a budget is a moral document, right? We love that phrase. Um, but I am often concerned that as individual Jesus followers, we don't think of a budget as a moral document. And so when we really start to wrestle with how God's called us to use our money um, and, and look at our food budget, then we may actually be forced in a good way into community and into sharing because we're not throwing away extra carrots or we're not throwing away half a container of leftovers because we know we don't have the money to spend. And I often worry that our abundance financially causes us to not have to think critically. Um, and then let me see, I wrote down a bunch of ideas. Oh, so this is something that I have literally been wanting to tell the world for like several years. So thank you for giving me a platform. Bring it on. I can't if, wait. If you, it's not, it really isn't that groundbreaking. Been very <laughs> does it involve the Instapot? Because a lot of the tweets had Instapot it, moments. It so does not involve the Instapot. I'm very scared of blowing up my kitchen with that. So I don't have one of those. I just feel like I'd be that lady on the front page of like Yahoo News where everyone was like, that girl is an idiot. How is she not? Where's not going there? But listen, if your family has a car Costco membership, has a Sam's membership, is any, and if you don't know what Costco or Sam's are, there are these big warehouses where you buy things in bulk and it's way cheaper. And they have like lots of really random cool stuff. Most single people that I know, it does not financially make sense for them to have a Costco or a Sam's membership like it does for a family of five. But there may often be things at Sam's and Costco that either we literally can't access, like they don't have them other places, 
or that are at a much more affordable price, but we need a smaller quantity. And so asking a single friend, hey, would this be helpful? We're going to go on Saturday. Let me know if you want to join us. That is such, that costs you nothing, like yeah. nothing. And it gives you connectional time with a single. And if you're lucky, they help round up your kids for you while you're running through Sam's and your kids are dragging things off the shelf. Um, and so, like, again, in community, everyone wins. My deep passion about singles in the church is not, we're so sad and bitter, please help us. It's, hey, we're all missing out because we're not walking interdependently. Um, and then another example, as far as like sharing a membership, if you have an Amazon Prime account, check with your single friends and find out if they do. Um, like I have a family who shares the Amazon Prime account. That's probably illegal, but don't tell anyone. Um, if Jeff we're just broadcasting it all over the yeah, world. Like, but, you listen, know. Jeff, I don't have a lot of money. You have a lot of money. It's okay. But like there was a, an ingredient I needed for a recipe this week that I couldn't find anywhere. And then simple enough, I was able to order on Amazon, have it here in two days. And I don't have the width in my budget to have my own account or to pay for shipping, but I do have the ability to live in community with other um, people. Um, if you're gardening or composting, for me to take on composting all by myself feels like a lot. But for me, the community garden down the street allows me to have a little thing on my counter where I put my stuff and then I take it and the community helps with it. Um, maybe you have a friend who wants to garden, but that's a lot to take on on your own, but they live a block away from you. Invite them to say, hey, what do you want to put in the bed? And Saturday morning, we're going to work on it. Um, again, it's connectional, it's relational, but also it's practical um, in giving singles the same access to food um, as married folks do. That was a lot. That was awesome. So I have too many thoughts. Um, one of the things I noticed on the Twitter that you pointed to well, is, this, is this idea of it's hard to buy small amounts and it's also hard to cook small amounts. And I feel like that's just kind of a, a base um, issue. I know. So I spent um, most of my adult life single and I actually really enjoy cooking but I rarely would cook for myself. If I had somebody over, um, I would cook. And since I've been in a relationship and married, like I cook a lot more because there's even just one more person for a while. My sister lived with me and like, so I'm, and I just, I'm really struck by, um, it's sometimes, I mean, some people don't like to cook and that's fine too. But for some of us, it's like, there's not the impetus to cook for oneself but if I knew that I was in charge of dinner for myself and another family, that would not have been a burden. That would have actually been a gift. Vice versa, like if somebody else wanted to bring me soup once a week, I'd be like, great. Because um, for me, I I mean, one of the, my husband has given me many gifts. One of them is that he remembers to eat three meals a day. I don't do that. Like if I'm on my own, I just forget. And then at like three o'clock, I'm like, oh, I'm a little grumpy. My blood sugar is low and I'll just grab something. Um, so I feel like that, like the reciprocity there is so, is so key. And I, you know, sharing CSAs, sharing access to the, the ingredients and then the, the food itself. Um, but one of the things that you said that I want to just pull out and ask you to speak a little more about, and particularly to an audience that we do have people who are in different um, spiritual communities yeah. is um, 
you talk about how the church can low-key shame singles. So we know, we kind of know the big ones, right? Like you spoke about earlier. First you're single, then you're married, and that, that's, you know, somehow that married people suddenly become more wise, which obviously isn't true. <laughs> um, but uh, what, what about some of these more low-key ways that singles within church community have almost the pain reinforced? Um, if Could you talk a little bit more about what, what you mean by that? Yeah, for sure. So um, the reason I brought this up is that often some of that shaming can revolve specifically around community and how we eat um, in community or not in community. So very off the cuff, um, a pastor might say, um, you know, they're talking about building a strong family. We really like sermons about building strong families and strong families are important, um, but it is not true that strong families are the cornerstone of a good society and because that ignores 50% of the American population that is not married with children. Um, and so I think that uh, I don't, I would highly doubt that these things are even in their, their sermon notes, but they'll just say something like, uh, turn off Netflix and eat with your family, go to the table, or um, my favorite right now that is just so shaming, not only to single people, but uh, disabled folks is internet friends aren't real friends. Go, go meet with people face to face, um, or don't run through the drive through like eat a meal around the table, right? And I understand the heart between, beside all of those sentiments. I know the intention. And I'm at a place in my walk in singleness that I've had years and years of therapy and tons and tons of conversations where I can sort that stuff out when a tweet like that goes out. And I can say, that's not true. This was their intention. I'm fine to be on the internet while I eat my dinner. <laughs> but for a lot of single folks, they have not been given space and privilege to do that work. And so all it continues to reinforce to them is something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with you. Um, eating dinner alone, uh, let's say that I do that six out of seven days of the week. Um, I don't want to sit at a table silently and eat alone. For me in particular, that all that does is remind me of all that God has withheld that I thought by 31, it would be a loud, obnoxious, sticky table. <laughs> and it is not. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is for my good. Like when I say God has withheld, I say that with uh, a lot of frustration, but a lot of gratitude. And so to ask me, turn off Netflix, don't eat on the couch, is just a, a, a really complete lack of understanding of the single experience. Uh, it also doesn't acknowledge that the bulk of single folks do not own homes, and many of us do literally do not have tables, right. um, and many of us desperately wish that we had that. Many, many of us are living in small places where we feel like our hospitality has been smushed, and that's not completely true, and I definitely talk to singles about that, um, but even the the call to go to the table is forgetting that many of us do, do not have a table um, to go to. And Anna, I love you talking about just how much easier it's been since you've been married to cook, even though 
your love of cooking was there when you were single. And that is true for me and a lot of others that I know. Um, But for me, especially, I'm built and wired and run relationally. Mm -hmm. And so cooking and the hard work and the, the sweat and all the cleanup afterwards Right, the dishes. The dishes. Like you, if you exactly. single, you have to cook, eat, and, and wash the dishes. Out. Correct. It sucks. And so sometimes that can be a two-day process because yeah. I, I cook one day and then the next day is cleanup day. And and then I'd like a break day. Right. And, right? Like and, and so, you're also trying to work and to do all the other things. Right. Like, and take out the trash. And and so but I don't think we can miss the emotional component of of cooking right like and we talk about that a lot in the church how cooking brings people together and how there's nothing like fresh food and i agree with all of that but the dark underbelly of that is is that cooking alone can be very very lonely and now sometimes i think i'm in the right mindset it can be life-giving and it can remind me of all god has given me in the midst of me not having what i want but on a regular tuesday evening especially when daylight savings time hasn't come and it's been dark since five o'clock and it feels like the world is ending. Cooking does not sound life-giving. It sounds like, well, why don't I sit here for an hour listening to sad Taylor Swift songs and yelling at God (laughs) for not giving me someone to chop up these vegetables. Um, And I, I just think that, and again, you have to be in relationship with single people to have these conversations to say, hey, how often are you cooking alone? And does that feel good? Like, is that life-giving? Or is that making you remember constantly that you don't have a spouse that you want? Um, I just think we can't miss that. Well, it makes me think too that it's just, I mean, another way that those who have a kitchen or have, you know, more people in their household, sometimes the offer is, do you want to come over to my house and make dinner in my kitchen? Like, I, there are stages in my life where I did not have a nice, you know, place where I could bring people in. And I was like, yes, I want to come cook in your kitchen. And they're like, really? That's, I mean, for, you know, parents with young children who are like barely making, you know, sense of their lives in the world are like, you want to come over and cook us dinner? And I was like, yeah, as long as I can stay and eat it with you, you know, like, um, so that I just, again, I think that like, I really think it's so important this that food can bring out the reciprocity of what people need and also what they have to offer. And that we maybe miss, miss some of the nuance of those needs. Like that underbelly brings out an opportunity. For sure. And one just practical thing that um, you just made me think of is another barrier often to single folks being able to cook at home and eat out less is the lack of a well-stocked kitchen. Um, It is 2019, and we still believe that the only way you get a KitchenAid mixer is if you're married or hit it rich um, as a single person. And and it's crazy. And I don't know that anyone needs a KitchenAid mixer because those things are stupid expensive. But like a good set of knives can make all the difference about whether cooking is miserable or okay. And knives are expensive. And so we have got to, at least in the church, and I hope culture at large, have a serious discussion 
about wedding showers. And my mom always yells like, we don't have to get rid of wedding showers. I'm like, fine, that's fine. We don't have to get rid of wedding showers. That's like my very like intense belief. But what we can do is create a norm where we throw housewarming parties for single people. We throw college graduation parties for single people. We throw 25th birthday parties for single people, whatever it is. And then we look at them and say, please make a registry. We want you to have a well-stocked home because Mm -hmm. some people are crazy like me and are just going to do it. So for my 30th birthday, I made a registry and we had a party and people sent gifts because I was tired of not having a kitchen that I could use. Mm -hmm. But a lot of singles are never going to feel like they can do that. And so we've got to simultaneously get singles to advocate more for themselves, but also ask married people, use all that dadgum privilege and host a party for your friend and don't wait in hopes that they get married so they can finally have a knife that isn't blunt because it's very hard to cut things with blunt knives. (laughs) Preach, (laughs) preach, preach, preach. (laughs) I hear this idea that, that you are not entitled to those kind of things until there's until marriage has happened, that there's some kind of reward that comes with it. And what I hear is you calling very clearly to faith communities to just stop being quite so lazy with our language in the way that we think about the people who are actually just sitting in our pews and in our classrooms and around our circles and and wherever that church gathers, um, that ultimately we try to, we proclaim a faith that is about grace, that we have not earned it, that there's not one thing we do that makes us better or more privileged or more in, in God's sight, that by virtue of who we are and where we are, when we are, um, we are deserving of God's love and we are deserving of the love of the people that are around us in our unique needs. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't deserve a KitchenAid mixer and I don't, like I said, necessarily (laughs) need one. Um, but you would be shocked how we have just normalized that single people get hand-me-downs. The amount of times that I have friends who have gotten married, so they got all new stuff and then have given me their hand-me-down stuff that they don't want. Now, if I'm in close relationship with them and they say, hey, this blender still works great. Someone got us one without asking, do you want it? That's very different. Um, But we do this both with like people in poverty. We just literally give them boxes of crap that no one wants. But like the idea that because I'm not married, I should have to have mismatched furniture, like a college boy's dorm room. And again, it's not that I'm deserving of a brand new $1,200 couch. I think we need to have serious conversations in the church about whether anyone should be spending $1,200 on a couch. But the, the, the problem is that inequality, and then I love what you said, Sam, just the, the laziness. Like, well, this is just how it's always been done. We just throw wedding showers. That's what we do. And so, again, I don't think those showers are done in harm, and I've gone, and I've pitched in for the KitchenAid mixer, and I've happily done it. Like, not with bitterness most times. Yes. Most yeah. times. Um, but it's just a... Well, this is, and I love how you said it earlier, the 80 versus the 20. Like, well, this meets the needs of 80% of the people in the church. Um, But like on a just practical, like church growth level, 50% of Americans are now single. So if you would like your church not to die, then you should make a plan. 
And I'm happy, literally, I'm not joking. I'm happy to make you a plan. I would love to come in and work with your church and help you make better systems. Um, but it's, it's going to stop being 80, 20 eventually. Um, and, and as a single that in some ways is encouraging, like, Oh, good. Well, we might get noticed, but I want to be noticed now. And I want to believe that the Jesus we follow seems almost always more concerned with the 20 than Mm -hmm. the 80%. Um, that that is the good news. I think that this, um, conversation, could just go on for so long, but there's a few things I want to make sure that you get a chance to tell us about. And one is Rise, which I know is yeah. very close to your heart. It is both your work and your job, but um, I don't think I'm putting words into your mouth to say that it's also your calling and your ministry and your passion. And uh, tell our listeners a bit about Rise, how it intersects with this work, and um, also how they can connect with and support the work that you're doing. Yeah. So Rise is a um, women's ministry, um, but that involves men. And I think that's a really important thing to note. So we are working for women in the church, but for women to thrive in the church, men have to come alongside of us um, in that work. And so if you're listening to this podcast, we would love for you to learn about Rise and get more involved. Um, At Rise, we believe a very simple vision um, that the church, the Big C Church, the Body of Christ, or your faith community, whatever faith community you may be a part of, should be the best place to be a woman. Um, That if you look at the life of Jesus and the way that he interacts with and talks to and empowers women, that there just should be no better place on earth that corporate America shouldn't be the best place, that academia shouldn't be the best place, um, that the home shouldn't be the best place, but that the church should be the best place. And so we're doing that by connecting women from all across the theological spectrum um, at a big, big literal and metaphorical table all across the United States and into the UK now and Africa and Canada. Um, We are equipping women, whatever that looks like, women are already doing incredible work right where they are, whether it's in their public schools or their neighborhood or their church or their job. So women don't need another project, but sometimes they are lacking connection and the equipping that they need, the resources that they need to continue to do this incredible work in sustainable ways. Um, And then we're empowering them. And what we mean by that is we're giving them places to rest, places to connect, places to be equipped, and then we're sending them back out with love and grace and telling them, hey, come back when you need some more connection and equipping and grace, and then we're going to send you back out. Um, And so it is, you were not putting words in my mouth, Anna, it is my joy and my passion to get to help lead um, this incredible community of women. You don't have to do anything to be a part of us. There's not a, a fee or a test. You don't have to come to an event. You can literally just say like, man, I like that vision and I'd like to be a part. Um, our website is nowsherises.org and you can find us on social media platforms at Now She Rises. Um, and then we have a Facebook group um, which is a great way to kind of actually meet women in our community and listen to women in our community. And men are invited to be a part of that group too. Um, and to, to listen, to listen and learn and watch. And we're going to put that link um, in the show notes um, for you to join that Facebook group. We're at about our time. and want to be thoughtful about all the things that everybody's got to go to. So in conclusion, what brings you hope? 
the kind of hope that doesn't just ignore problems, but actually pushes through them towards a better vision of the future. And I have heard so much of this out of you that, I mean, you have spoken very clearly about um, sometimes the deficiencies and the blind spots that we have as communities of faith. But I've heard it in such a way that it's like, actually, there's a better way to be on the other side of this. So I just want to affirm that this whole thing has really Mm -hmm. been for me about hope. Um, But still want to ask you the question anyway, what brings you hope at the end of the day? Yeah, yeah. And I'm so glad that's what you heard, because I believe in the church and the body of Christ. Um, and that's why I talk passionately and um, and cut to the chase because um, I don't want to be anywhere else but in community um, in the body of Christ. And so when I think about what brings me hope, what gets me up every day to do this work, it is the individual women I know in our RISE community. Um, it is Lucy Crabtree who is talking about disability in the church with grace but truth. Um, It is our incredible board of directors, Molly Jasinski and Andrea Humphreys and Amanda Beck, who are without pay, um, without doing their own full-time jobs, but are saying, we believe in this mission so much that we're going to show up every day and be pretty much unpaid um, staff members. It's Marlena Graves, who works with um, farm workers to organize for better labor rights and conditions. And I could just go on and on and on. I say that unquestionably, the best part of my job is the women that I get to say, hey, I know her. And that my dream 20 years from now is that people will be talking about one of my women and they'll say, yeah, they're, they're connected to this thing called rise. And some girl named Holly runs that. I don't know who she is because that's what we're trying to do is take our little platform and our little, little donor base and take these women who are just killing it, who are not ignoring the problems, right? But with hope and with truth and with grace are tackling them head on and taking their voices and their story and their pain and saying like, we believe that we can be something better. Um, and so, yeah, it's the women. And, and if for any reason, I want all of your listeners to be a part of our RISE community. It's so you can know those people um, like I've gotten to know them. And I will just tell you, I've had the gift of um, being part of this community for the last, it's been about a year. And if nothing else, the love that Holly and the core like team of the community emanate out is just blows my mind. I mean, I have had been touched by their grace and their love and their care in ways that um, you just, you expect from like friends that you've known for like 20 years. And I would really encourage our listeners. I know there are a lot of wonderful things to support in the world. This is one of the organizations I support monthly because I really believe in the work that Rise is doing. And it is um, touching on so many different needs in the world and with such grace. So Holly, I just really want to say a big thank you um, for the work and the ministry that you give to the world. Um, I know that you can actually go and go to churches and organizations and work with and share this work. And so we also want to encourage our listeners that if you are interested in the conversation that you heard today, yes, join the Rise group, follow Holly on Twitter, um, but also consider having her come and lead a workshop um, at at your church or your group of whatever part. part. And um, I know that you um, can sometimes make that accessible to people and organizations that don't have the financial means. So don't let finances hold you back. Um, 
while also give generously. <laughs> um, so Holly, also, could you tell people how to connect with you? Um, is Twitter the best way? If people want to be in these conversations with you, what's the best way to, to connect? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Holly, H-O-L-L-Y, Stalkup, S-T-A-L-L-C-U-P. My mom always says like a horse stall in a coffee cup. Um, so at Holly Stalkup on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and then uh, Rise is on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Now She Rises. Um, and the links to all of that stuff I just said are just on the website, nowsherises.org. And if you're interested in bringing me in for speaking or consulting or preaching or any other crazy idea you have to talk about women in the church or community or singleness, um, you can use the contact form on the website and then we can visit more. Very good. And we encourage everybody to go hit that up. We'll make sure that that's in the show notes as well. So it's easily accessible. Um, but Holly, thank you so much. Um, it has been not only just a gift to listen to you talk, um, but you know, one thing I, I really valued that so often we talk about tables as if they are this indiscriminate good. And you have said to be thoughtful about that. And again, just the hope that you have spoken with to say, actually, Let's think more carefully about this and let's continue to aspire to a more inclusive and a wider table um, has been a tremendous gift to all of us. And, and the work that you're doing to bring women in their whole self to that table um, and, to, and, and to offer their, their gifts as God has enabled them um, has, just been, has just been excellent. So thank you so much for being with us today. And we look forward to chatting with you again soon um, yeah. whenever the opportunity arises. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me and for making... Uh, just space for my story and for the voices of our single community. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest University School of Divinity, Plainsong Farm, Garden Church, and The Keep and Till. And the music is by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast. Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.